usually there's some kind of a licensed version that comes out after, but it's it's like it's not the same. It's not the thing. No, yeah. Like you couldn't actually buy a Power Rangers Morpher and it change your clothes to be a costume with yes, a helmet. But that is not a toy. It is no. a weapon and it is a serious responsibility. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, you live in San Diego, California. Cassidy Robinson, you live in an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. Mm, the Intermountain West, um, which is a very with- difficult time zone to tell people because nobody recognizes it. It's like EST, PST. Yeah, Screw it's your like you're not middle quite, of the country stuff. You're not quite the Pacific Northwest. A lot right. of people think it's the Midwest, but that's not right either. No, not even a little. Um, I used to live there. Is it snowing there yet? No. Uh, yeah, we're completely destroyed by uh, global warming. So, so far, um, no snow. But on a positive side, I did uh, go see our friends in Salt Lake City and usually around this time of the year, there's a huge snowstorm you have to drive through to get there. And there wasn't this year. So oh, that's nice. I was able to get to Salt Lake City and back with relative ease, uh, with the exception of my front tire blowing out on the way back. Um, but AAA uh, got me in the clutch on that one. That's that's good. I mean, you know, you have to take care of your tires, right? Well, I mean, I haven't really been driving for two years, but yes, I am looking into changing the tire situation of my vehicle. But what did you do? You know, I I went and saw my family. It's the first time I've done that in a while because I got the booster and all that junk. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I went and hung out with the most people I've been around in two years with our friends giving in in Salt Lake. I mean, I am a little curious if to, as if if that was weird for you. A lot of people are having a hard time sort of like social know, anxiety. Yeah, reintegrating into groups. Not uh, really. Only if it like occurred to me, like I'm for the most part I was just kind of just, you know, having conversations with my friends and then every once in a while I'd be like, "Oh yeah, there's like 15 people in this house right now." But I mean, it was there were fleeting thoughts. I didn't really think about it all that much. That's good. And uh, everyone we, around me was vaccinated. Everyone around me was um, more people than I would have even thought was boosted already. So, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, due for my booster coming up uh, here soon. Um, Get yeah, the so booster. Stop the Omnicron, <laughs> whatever yeah. it's called. Yeah, um, we, we've gotten a transformer level. We've gotten to yeah. where... The viruses are are being named after transformers. Well, I mean, on a separate note, they have they have been able to create like uh, mechanical biology, like cell, like mechanical cells that have learned to reproduce. So that's cool. What? Yeah, you haven't seen that article. There's they, they created like basically primordial soup out of like nanobots, and they've through AI have learned on their own how to reproduce. Well, that's, 
terrifying i don't know <laughs> uh i mean he, here's the thing we're 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 on a choose your own adventure apocalypse right now yeah, so there's really so are. many ways this could go it is just a race to the end <laughs> uh so that's exciting um yeah no for our holiday weekend we went to disneyland with some friends uh-huh. um which is a lot of fun uh i like it around the holiday times and then uh this last weekend was comic-con special edition yes so, uh comic-con as everybody knows uh they they decided pretty early in the year that they couldn't take the risk of having the full-sized convention during the summer uh but the Comic-Con at-home virtual experience has not been uh, exactly what, you know, I think gotten the reception they were hoping it would get. Right. And it also just brings zero money into the convention center. It brings zero money into San Diego. It's it's just kind of a cool thing to do, right? Right. It's just a placeholder. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they decided that they were going to do a small scaled back convention over... Um, holiday weekend it was you know it was a very scaled down it wasn't comic-con as we normally think of it so i think if anyone had traveled they probably would be a little disappointed uh the convention floor was about you know a third of its regular size Mm -hmm. um mostly small vendors and comic book shops and stuff and probably more local businesses than anything else i would imagine yeah yeah but no big um you know, no big Marvel booths, no big DC or Dark Horse booths, no big like industry booths of any kind, really. Just, mm. you know, like a bunch of toy sailors, mostly, um, and like collectibles and, and stuff. And, you know, a, a decent sized artist alley. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. All and, I know is you know, I saw the cosplay pictures you posted of you as X-Men characters. Uh-huh. Your wife was um uh Rogue. Yep. And I guess you were Nightcrawler. Oh my god. You are so scared of that makeup. It's weird to me. <laughs> I- it's chilling. It's <laughs> chilling. If people want to see Keith as Nightcrawler with a beard because you didn't cut the beard for your your cosplay you just I did not it. but Nightcrawler with a beard is canon he he has had a beard in the comic books I think I've seen that that might have been when he was like going through his pirate phase with the Excalibur uh no it's actually it was actually pretty recently oh okay that he well, had like a he had like a goatee at one point he's he, I mean, right I mean he, these characters can grow facial hair sure you had a lot of it and it was all painted blue um and uh it wasn't so much the makeup it's the way that your eyes and teeth pierce through it that is just um something else i mean there's a reason people hate and fear mutants cassidy (laughs) people are afraid of nightcrawler he looks like the devil well you, you got that down okay well don't mind me i'll just be dressed up like that hovering over you while you sleep at Keith Foster Kid on on Instagram, if you want to see these pictures, yeah, or you, or Twitter, I posted them on Twitter as well. You can, but, uh, you it, can. It would be I, okay. I will give you that. It is a little like insidious 
uh, like the movie Insidious, you know, <laughs> like if you just saw me behind Patrick, uh, Patrick Wilson's head, like I could, right. I could see, you know, being a little freaked out by it. Today, we're going to be talking about the Netflix film, uh, The Power of the Dog, which I believe had a small theatrical release as well for awards mm-hmm. consideration, um, but it is also on Netflix. And at the end of the podcast for the streaming homework, we are going to be talking about the 1982 film uh, Mazes and Monsters starring a young Tom Hanks. And I mean, starring's the word. <laughs> well, featuring a young Tom Hanks. <laughs> uh, but before we get to that, we did have a segment. I, I left it up to you this time. Um, well, why don't you go ahead and set it up? What is, well, what is this? So we were watching Mazes and Monsters, uh-huh. uh, which has this sort of fictionalized version of D&D within the movie, right? Yeah. Obviously, they use just a different name so that they didn't have to like pay Gary Gygax for rights or anything like that. <laughs> um, uh, but it's essentially the same thing. And it got me thinking, you know, like there's a bunch of movies with fake games and toys and video games. Mm-hmm. And so I pose the question to you, what fictional games or toys or, or video games or whatever uh, in movies would you like in real life? Would you like to have, you know, tis the season? What is your fictional movie toy Christmas wish list? Right. And I tried to think back to, uh, you know, different times in my youth when something like that occurred to me. Do you want me to start? And also, you know, it doesn't have to be something from your youth. I mean, I do sure. think that we grew up in a special era of consumerism that, you know, there, there lends itself to that era, but, um, and, you know, nostalgia is a hell of a drug. Uh, yes, it does. Yeah. That's probably just the most when I was thinking about that, but I uh, do, I mean, it runs the gamut here of, you know, my different ages. This is probably the earliest one that I remember. Um, and that is flubber. Uh, but not the oh. translucent green um, sentient dancing flubber from the uh, Robin Williams film, but rather the black tar like silly putty in the absent minded professor from 1961. This is what they used to show on the Disney Channel before um, they uh, you know, had a bunch of reality television shows and whatever else they show now. Uh, it's um, probably on Disney Plus. I don't know. It is. I'm sure it is. But yes, uh, the absent-minded professor, Ed McMurray, he creates Flubber. And unlike the gelatin, dancing gelatin from the Robin Williams movie, um, this is just kind of like a black silly putty. That's what it looks like to me. But it has the ability that when you bounce it, instead of um, over time, the power of the bounce decreasing to the point where, you know, it just lands, it increases with every bounce. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, that's, so, that's a good pull. I totally forgot about Flubber. Um, I would take the weird dancing goo from the Robin Williams. That just seems like too much. It's like almost like having a pet. It's like it's that's too much. And and it, it, it got it got him into a lot of trouble in the, in that movie. But in the absent-minded professor. 
you know, you can bounce it like a rubber ball and have fun with it that way. Um, at one point, uh, the, the, the high school basketball team is not doing so well. So he uses a uh, straightening iron to melt the flubber to the bottom of their sneakers so that they can jump higher. Um, Which is actually like super cheating. Hardcore cheating. <laughs> um, and uh, finally, I think towards the end of the film, he learns how to make turn it into a fuel of some type. He puts it in his car and his car can fly, which I don't know exactly how that makes sense. But, you know, Disney magic. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I was sort of uh, enchanted by this tar like substance that uh, that was in the movie. The absent minded professor. Yeah. Uh, great. Uh yeah, I absolutely didn't think of that one. That's a, that's a really good poll. Uh, okay, my first one, uh, I'm going to say I always wanted the night vision goggles from Jurassic Park. I almost put this, but then yeah. there's a few of answers that are kind of in this ballpark where it's like, but that's kind of the thing. Like you can just go to like a tactical gear store and buy night vision goggles. They're not going to be mean, painted up. Sure. From yes, you could the same way, but it it they're just night vision goggles. But they first of all, they were really good night vision goggles. Second uh-huh. of all, they were all painted to look like the car. Sure. I, they I were mean, branded. there was a specific marketability to the night vision goggles. And I'm going to say they're the level of night vision that they provided was fictional. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, maybe, I don't know the let the level of night vision that Buffalo bill uses to hunt women seem pretty good in that movie as well. But uh, I mean, the truth is I just don't believe in night vision. I don't, I I've never seen evidence of it. <laughs> You've never actually used it yourself. It's all CGI. Uh, okay. I mean, I can, I can pick another one. No, no, no. I mean, that's your answer. That's your answer. I just saying, I did think that, but that, there were a couple things when I thought I was like, that is a thing. It's just, you know, yeah. Is it really a toy? I don't know. It wasn't even really presented to be a toy in the movie. I mean, I think it kind of, okay. I'm sure there's a sign on it that says this is not a toy, but it was definitely like painted and made to look like child friendly. Like it was toyetic. Yes. yes. In fact, I'm and very surprised. Maybe they did. I don't know. Somebody could look this up. I'm surprised that they never made a toy version of it and just have it be like a viewfinder or something, but you could strap it on your head. I'm almost certain they probably did, but that's not the same thing. You I mean, here's the thing. Yeah. We're talking about a lot of like, you know, weird fantasy toys and games and stuff. Yeah. And usually there's some kind of a licensed version that comes out after, but it's, it's like, it's not the same. It's not the thing. No. Yeah. Like you couldn't actually buy a power Rangers morpher and it change your clothes to be a costume. With yes, a helmet. But that is not a toy. It is no. a weapon and it is a serious responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is, what is your next item on your uh, fictional wish list? Okay. Um, my next item. Oh, the talking teddy bear from AI. Okay. Another Spielberg film. And yeah, I mean, we had Teddy Rubs- uh, Rumskin. Rumskin. Teddy Ruxpin. Teddy Ruxpin. Um, which was like a teddy bear you put a little cassette tape in and it 
makes noises and has kind of a creepy mouth that opens and closes. Yeah, it was kind of like Furby before Furby. Sure. In the movie AI, it is a full-blown sentient talking robot. And I mean, if nobody's ever seen the movie AI, the movie is heavily structured after the movie Pinocchio um, or the story Pinocchio uh, and the teddy bear in the movie pretty much functions as the Jiminy Cricket character. So he's always like telling, you know, the boy played by Haley Joel Osment, who's a robot, um, you know, what to do and where to go and, you know, to, to second guess things, question things. But you can hold full conversations with this bear. It was also artificial intelligence as smarter, smarter than any of the uh, other robots or house servants or whatever that you see throughout the film. And I well, don't necessarily want those because they're not cute and furry, but the little talking teddy bear was adorable. Yeah, it was very cute. Um, Yeah. No, that's a, that's another good one. Um, It'd be a fun little companion. Sure. I mean, until it like malfunctions and tries to kill you. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where do I want to go next? Um, uh, I'm going to say I would like a, functioning re actual holographic version of Dejaric, the uh the holographic chess set from star wars oh okay the 4d chess yeah yeah the like circular yeah. table that chewie's playing with c3po and it's got the mm. monsters and they like eat each other when they i feel like we're pretty close to that aren't we yeah we could, I we could so. approximate that a little i i i bet they could make it i it would probably just cost like, you know, $3,000 or whatever. Elon Musk probably already has one in his bedroom. Oh, fuck Elon Musk. Um, (laughs) I want his Dejaric. Yeah. I did. I thought about that as well. I wasn't quite sure. Here's the thing. I don't like regular chess. So I don't know if in reality I would, you know, well, you don't actually really play board games or anything like that. Not really, but I mean, of those chess, probably the least. Um, I don't need a harder chess when I haven't completely wrapped my head around the original version, but uh, it does look What you're saying is you're not going to be cameoing in uh, Queen's Gambit season two. No. Okay. I I do Uh, like chess, like many sports films. I do like chess movies. And I like the idea that it's this difficult thing and there's all this strategy involved, but I'm never going to like, if somebody tries to explain the rules to me, I just, I tune out and get very bored. I mean, I'm not like I'm great at chess, but I'll play every once in a while. And uh, I just think the whole setup's really cool with the holographic monster. Like, uh, you know, I mentioned this and my wife was like, oh, well, I want wizard's chess from Harry Potter. Like there's something about, like the the figures moving and like defeating mm-hmm. each other that's really cool. Yeah. I thought about that a little bit too. Um this one I enjoy it kind of similar to the to the chess thing, but uh my last one that I have here and it's the most current film um is the video game projector from Spike Jones her. Yeah. Yeah, so, I'm glad you mentioned it cuz that one like the weird little alien game yeah like like the foul-mouthed little alien right yeah Yeah. it's it's it makes for a very funny scene i don't know what's really going on in the game i i don't really play video games now so would i really 
actually enjoy this game on in the long run. I don't know. Probably not. I'd probably get bored of it after like a week or so. But um, it looks really cool. I mean, obviously, it's kind of fake. It's fictional. Again, it's we're getting pretty close to it, though. Yeah, like I've played um, VR. Um, I, you know, I've, I've experienced like a house, a household VR set. It's not too far from that. No, not at all. In fact, I think I would prefer something like this to household VR. I actually recently experienced a household VR for the first time and it was very impressive. Um, Uh my, my friend had a really good setup, uh, but it made me very sick. And yeah, I'm surprised. I think the projector model in in her where you don't have to wear a helmet, but it is still kind of an immersive uh, environment that, you know, you just set up against a wall, but it has kind of like three dimensional um, spaces in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that you kind of control it with like with your hands, very um, yeah, with slight yeah, movements. It- it's like somewhere between VR and like, you know, any kind of uh, and like the sci-fi computer interface of like Iron Man or yeah. uh, Minority Report or any of the stuff where, you know, we've gotten rid of screens and it's just sort of integrated into real life yeah, uh, exactly. into a three dimensional space. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. I mean, you were just talking about cells replicating. Like, I'm pretty sure <laughs> they can do like. 3D I, right, I'm, I'm sure there is some, you know, prototype of this somewhere in some uh, gaming uh, lab or whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, it looks fun. Again, I don't know if in practicality I would really enjoy it that much because I don't really play video games, mm. um, but it, it made for a fun scene. I did not put the iOS system from her because I think that that's kind of actually depressing and um, we're not really dealing with social media uh, very well as it is. So I don't think we need like, you know, it talking to us. Well, that, that is. And so uh, I did not include the Oasis from ready player one, even though it is like, you know, the, right. The fictionalized dream world. Uh, because I've been on Reddit threads, I've been on Twitter, like people would not be having fun. It would not, it would not be used responsibly in right. any way. Yeah. So I, I agree. I think in an ideal world, those interfaces would be incredible. Um, but yeah, we're just not, we're not responsible enough for it. No. So my, my last one, um, and I, actually only just thought about it but i'm like man how did i how did i miss this uh the hoverboards from back to the future part two i was actually going to ask if we should have a moratorium on the hoverboard because it seems so obvious to me i literally didn't even think of it until you mentioned uh the for some reason the teddy bear from AI like triggered me on it. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I mean, of course, who didn't want that? Uh, Everyone wanted that, yeah. And specifically, I liked the Marty McFly pink version better than the like you know, Biff death version, right? Because uh, it's yeah, like yeah, bright yeah. Well, and colorful, he kind of stole it. You know, it wasn't really his. I know it's it was like a girl's scooter, um, right? But 
there's something about the pink and like the the bright colors like of course of course i i'm sure that you know the producers of that movie have probably been working on making an actual levitating version for the last 35 years well i mean they have made something i've seen it um yeah i know but it's not like a it's not mass marketed like, no, thing. no 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 it, it's a replica but it's also like in order for it to hover it has to be sitting like right above this like magnetized it's like basically using like um you know reverse magnetization sure like, and there's uh, like the the weird wheelie hoverboards and stuff. I'm none of that. I want the actual fucking hoverboard from Back to the Future Part Two. Sure. As it is, you know, you can do everything but go over water. What uh? What were the other ones? You you said you had more. I only have the three, and you just came up with this one. So yeah, uh, I was gonna say maybe a Quidditch broom, um, yeah. from Harry Potter. Uh, I have a couple, uh, the game Sugar Rush from Wreck-It Ralph would be a lot of fun if it was like a real fully fledged game. Yeah. I'm surprised it hasn't been an arcade version of that. Hasn't come I, I think there was like, like a free downloadable version you could get on Xbox or something, but you know, it's not the same, you know, I want the full thing with all the levels and like unlockable cars and stuff like that. Yeah. I remember from the movie big the big keyboard well yes the big keyboard but that was like a real thing you those yeah. those existed but i remember like he was like in the meeting with toy designer and there was like a building that could transform and i remember i really liked that <laughs> um, they specifically it, it, invented that toy for that movie to to be lame like that yeah, was the entire point of that scene i know but i still i love to show that this guy was out of touch didn't know what children really wanted you know what? maybe he knew more than he realized because <laughs> i was so obsessed with transformers that i was like you just really? wanted a like big plastic box with arms and legs yeah okay yeah could turn to a bit i mean it's like the ultimate disguise right i thought you were gonna say the uh choose your own adventure computer comic book that he tom hanks character comes up with which is really not all that cool either that's basically like those uh text-based um yeah and it's games outdated no um still cooler than the than the transforming building fuck you i want it give me that transforming skyscraper <laughs> i'm into it uh okay and then i i have a couple questions that i want to pose to you okay these were you know the first when i pose this question the first thing that i immediately think of is jumanji and that's what right, yeah, my yeah. wife said but i wouldn't want to play jumanji no let's be terrifying it'd be horrifying and she's like no i'd be into it and i'm like really no you you, you're scared of spiders and there was literally like a whole <laughs> giant spider part of that game I yeah, not to so. mention like you know m- like apes big apes and and lions and alligators no you would not it would destroy your house it would a not literally be literally a at man all. hunting you for sport right yeah. Yeah. No. Now there's I haven't seen the new Jumanji movies where you're like sucked into a video game. Maybe that's a slightly like less terrifying venture, but um uh, I mean it's it's very different. Uh it still right. isn't that. I mean, 
you're still like experiencing these things can like only die so many times or whatever. Um, It would be cool to have like a replica of the Jumanji game from the movie that's like made of real wood and stuff. I know you can, they've made like a home version of Jumanji, which just uses little plastic pieces and stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. Like just a replica that looks like the one from the movie would be kind of cool to have just as like movie memorabilia. uh, But as we were at Comic-Con and there was a guy who like custom custom made one and it would look, like so good and it was right. really cool and he had like he had it like tied up with ropes and when he opened it he had it rigged to where like the drum beat would start sounding oh that's kind of cool yeah. yeah it was it was actually like very fucking cool uh, again and then cool I, memory uh, movie memorabilia but the actual game itself would not be fun at all no i did not no, see zathura maybe that would be more my speed i don't think so because i'm pretty sure those kids go to space uh uh uh, and then i have one other question uh Uh that i'm going to pose to you as sort of a uh hypothetical moral question okay when i was a kid i really wanted the magical cupboard from indian in the cupboard oh motherfucker i should have thought of that but would you really want that in real life I remember that that little Indian or that little Native American uh, <laughs> was kind of sad, wasn't he? Displaced, maybe. But yeah, I don't know about sad. I, 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 to be fair, do not really remember that movie. Um, I watched it when I was a kid, but I, I have not seen it since. But I was sort of like taken with the idea of like bringing your toys to life. Uh, so every kid wants well, that. In that's why Toy Story is a huge movie. That's why, yeah. you know, that's why I want the teddy bear from AI. Everybody wants to talk well, to their yeah, toys. Yeah, because when you're a kid, your your toys are like friends. They're, you know, yeah, what I mean? like they're, you anthropomorphize everything and you your imagination runs wild. But yeah, I mean, he had like a little Darth Vader. It didn't I, he Darth Vader didn't seem like he was super depressed. Like, I don't know. I don't think he had enough time for the existential dread that the little native of American fellow got. Again, I don't remember the movie, but it wasn't like the whole goal was to like fix it and send them back or something. I don't know. I don't, I remember it was like you turn it, the key, you put them in once and they come to life. And then uh, <clears throat> it was kind of an existential nightmare. And then you could put them back in <laughs> and turn it again. And they turn back into a toy. So like, there was some control over it. I, I mean, I guess. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I think that even makes it easier of a choice than if if uh, you can change them back at any point. But like, are they aware? Are they aware when they're toys? Like, are they frozen in a like a living hell? Like, I, I don't know. I just raises too many questions. <laughs> it just I just don't think I could could morally be okay with it but that that was actually the next one on my list uh before i thought of the hoverboard i see okay yeah well that that makes more sense to me all right uh so yep that was that little thing if you can get us any of these things for christmas um uh just email them to us Mm -hmm. or uh you know get our address uh, as close to the real thing as possible so no only the real thing yeah the real thing or nothing all right, um, let's get into the movie reviews. 
Uh, we'll start here with the uh, Netflix film, The Power of the Dog. So The Power of the Dog is the new film by writer-director Jane Campion. And this takes place in the early turn of the century. Uh, it stars Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, Benedict Cumberbatch, Cody Smith-McBee as the central cast here. Jesse Plemons and Benedict Cumberbatch play these kind of well-to-do ranchers um, who are living in the American West. And uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, even though he is uh, Yale, a graduate, has kind of taken more to the uh, ranching lifestyle and, you know, learned how to ride horses, learned how to tie rope, learned how to, uh, uh, you know, skin cattle and all of that kind of stuff. He has a big crew of people, ranch hands that follow him around and do what he, what he says. He's kind of the alpha. Um, and Jesse Plemons is a bit more of a dandy, uh, certainly not as uh, well fit and certainly not as outdoorsy. Um, maybe wants to get involved more in high society and befriend governors and that type of thing. Um, on their uh, travels, he comes across uh, Kirsten Dunst's character, Rose Gordon, who is um, kind of this lonely widower or widow, rather. And her son, played by Cody Smith McPhee, Peter Gordon, and together they run sort of a, a, a small uh, restaurant that, you know, helps ranch hands and, that, and travelers that come along the way. Um, and uh, Jesse Plemons is sort of taken with her and decide, you know, there's a whirlwind romance between the two of them and they kind of quickly get married and he quickly moves her into their ranch home, even though uh, Phil Burbank, uh, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, um, is very suspicious of her and thinks that she is a money grubber. Um, and uh, recognizes a sort of effeminate quality or uh, repressed homosexuality in her son, played by uh, Cody Smith McPhee, and uh, sort of takes out all of his aggression on him and her um, in very uh, uh, mentally sadistic ways. And it kind of just becomes this character study slash uh domestic uh western mm -hmm. um about the this small group of people and their the character dynamics and sort of this um you know these ultimate sort of questions of power and and uh sexual politics and um and masculinity in uh, the old west but unlike a lot of westerns there's not really like a adventure slash action quality to this movie. This is very much, this is based on a novel. It feels very novelistic. It's even split into chapters. Mm -hmm. um, and it's much more about the internal, much more about what's going on in these characters' heads and sort of the mind games that they're sort of playing um, with each other and, and these character dynamics that are super subtle and, um, sort of boiling beneath the surface of, of what you see here from scene yeah. to scene. I, I think what made a lot of that work for me, mm -hmm. um, cause this movie's a lot more subtle than I was expecting it to be. Sure. Um, you know, typically when you're dealing with uh, Westerns or period pieces like this, 
Yeah. Uh, there tends to be a lot more physical violence. Um, in, right. In no, case, there's no like almost... uh, kidnappings or revenge or yeah. you know, shootouts or anything like that. This is more just about these people, where they live, the time period and sort of their uh, yes. psychological goings on. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more, um, uh, you know, maybe mental violence. Uh, yeah. And, and psychic violence, but not, not, uh, yeah, not a shoot 'em up rowdy kind of uh, movie that, that I was maybe expecting a little bit of. Mm. Um, but one of the things that I think makes that work is the score for this movie. Uh, the score for this movie, there is a lot of underlying tension and scenes mm-hmm. and it, the score plays like a thriller. It plays like, um, like it's building to these crescendos, but it's, it's all of this like emotional turmoil. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all of this emotional tension that the, that the score, I think does a lot of the heavy lifting on um, the score and the performances. I mean, you know, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is great. Uh, Jesse Plemons is great. Kristen Dunst, Cody Smith, Miffy, they're all, you know, this is all kind of like dream actor stuff. Um, Right. Yeah. And they get a lot to do. And um, I was, you know, I was really happy to see Kristen Dunst given such a meaty role mm because I haven't seen her really do something like this in a long time, especially kind of playing her age and, you know, and, um, you know, it's it's a very subtle performance. It's a very interior performance, as all of them are. Um, even the even you know the characters that are more uh, boisterous and out loud, like Benedict Cumberbatch's character, he has an entirely different narrative internally than what he's, yeah. what he's showing. Yeah, uh, I mean, again, it's just another great showcase for him, and and yeah. he always is going to deliver on something like this. Right, and um, I was a little like between him and. Cody Smith McBee, I was a little bit like, they're so European looking <laughs> to me. Like they just do. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch barely looks human, let alone um, American. But uh, I mean, him with a, an American accent is always going to be a little jarring to me. Yeah. Um, I'm so used to him, you know, being a Brit bonger. But, but I, I do think he has made it a lot more naturalistic than his first time as like Dr. Strange, where he sounded sure. like Hans Gruber faking an American accent. There's also like a, a subtle um, Irish accent in there as well. Like some of the way he pronounces certain words and it's not just like his English accent breaking through mm-hmm. um, as can be the case sometimes with, with uh, English actors in America. But in this case, I, I feel like he, it's informing sort of the um, transnationalism of the character. Yeah, yeah. Um, like there's a a like probably a generation removed from from like Irish immigrants or something sure. like that. And uh, this is based I, I on see, a book. That's probably all explained in the book. But um, but I yeah. didn't pick up on that. But that's that's very interesting. Um, very interesting pull. And Jesse Plemons, I liked seeing him kind of play against type. Normally he gets sort of cast as like 
I mean, he's still kind of a downtrodden weirdo, but in a very different way. Right. Uh, uh, you know, he's he's much more relatable in this. He's much more, you know, he he tends to play. I I mean, Jesse Plemons just gets all of the Philip Seymour Hoffman roles anymore. Uh, yeah, um, kind of. There's certainly that. I mean, I'm always going to think Matt Damon because they kind of look alike. But I think he, as he's getting older, he's he's aging into um, Philip Seymour Hoffman a little bit. <laughs> the, the relationship between him and Kirsten Dunst is really interesting because, you know, he kind of comes in and seems like he's trying to sort of save her mm-hmm. um, with his with his wealth and his privilege. And he ends up kind of putting her and her son in a very in a worse situation emotionally yeah. than they were in before, even though they weren't as wealthy or as comfortable, they are certainly in a, in a much more hostile environment um, with his brother who uh, lets them know very early on that he does not want them there. Um, Which I, I can, I think it's, uh, it's interesting the way that this, that that is also plays out because it's all, verbal abuse it's it's right you know there's there's no scenes of outward physical abuse but that tension but is it's like, verbal abuse but it's not like i mean other than just like a, a few tiny bits of dialogue it's not like uh an in the bedroom style like you know big argument scenes or no, things like that or blow-ups or like you know these big like oscar clippy scenes yeah it's all like especially the the mind games between benedict and kirsten um uh it's, all know, just it's like, very insidious uh subtle stuff you just get this sense of like wash out when you know when uh my brother's not around kind of thing right like, which is often yeah um it, it, i mean there's a whole chunk of the movie i was like well i haven't seen jesse plemons in a while where did he go and then he comes back in the movie i'm like oh hello <laughs> um but that's kind of goes back to what i was saying with him it's like yes he yeah i think he genuinely loves her in a way yeah. but i think he also it's that time period you know we're talking about the early 1900s where women were kind of more seen as property than than spouses like a, you mm-hmm. know, as an equal partner and you know at one point he he buys her this big grand piano and so that he can impress um these these uh, high society types that he invites over and she really only knows like you know a, a few a few things she learned from playing in the uh you know the cinemas um, along, you know, like silent cinema, um, which she mostly doesn't remember. And it becomes like this whole, this whole thing, but it's mm-hmm. also kind of like, you know, sort of drawing the parallel between her and the piano itself, where it's like, she's just sort of another prop in his house. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, all of this tension leads to, you know, her drinking a lot and her, Right. Uh, her relationship with alcohol and. And I'm glad know. they didn't play. It's almost on the line. It's almost on the line of of becoming caricature or becoming just sort of a rote stereotype. That's kind of a lot of this movie is like is like push it to that point of familiarity of, yeah. of like where we've seen movies like this before go. Right. It's 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 just like right on the edge of melodrama without yeah, going without tilting into it. And then pull it back and bring it back down to like this inward tension. Right. And I, I think that's 
where this movie really succeeds is, is just that feeling of tension that like everybody's been in a room with someone they're very uncomfortable with. Right. Right. And this whole movie just captures that vibe so well. Yeah. You, we've all known there's that person at work or that person at school or whatever, where you just try to avoid them. Yeah. Because you, it, whether it's, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, but it's not going to be good. And it's, it's just going to make you mad. So you just, yeah, I'm going to walk this way because they might be over there. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and, and it just creates like this whole um, stressor in your mind that you don't need. It, it's um, just, it is a very different um, sort of portrayal of that, that I've ever really kind of experienced in a movie before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I think, yeah, that is it was uh, something that this did really well. Yeah, it, it the the movie itself feels kind of of another time. Like, I mean, besides the fact that it's a period piece, obviously, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's the more like the type of films that were made in the seventies than it is like the type of films that we see nowadays. Even within independent cinema, I think there's usually the big moment or the big inciting incident or the big whatever. Or that, this that, movie doesn't really, push for drama. Yeah. This movie doesn't really have that save the final sequence, which I'm a little mixed on. But um yeah, I I I think that the I what I I mean to me this movie reminded me a lot of movies like Days of Heaven, the Terrence Malick film from the 70s with Richard Gere. And not, I mean, there's a lot of shots that are very similar, like the outdoor shots on, you know, looking upwards towards this, this kind of gothic style house. And, mm. and, and there is sort of a Southern Gothic nature to the film. Um, and so, like the McCabe and Mrs. Miller's and like all that, that kind of like uh modern western like the you know sort of like uh turning the western tropes on their heads stuff that came out in the 70s sure yeah yeah uh yeah and i something i kind of want to go back to um is is you mentioning uh benedict cumberbatch and cody smith mcphee um, right part of this that um you didn't really touch on in your in your recap is you know at a certain point uh, Benedict kind of uh, turns around his feelings for um, Cody Smith McPhee, who uh, is playing Kirsten Dunn's son. Right. And, you know, I the, the he starts to warm to him. He starts to like include uh, him more in in the ranch uh business and yeah and he's like trying teach to him like, things yeah uh you know in his mind he's trying to toughen him up a little um, right but like teach him how to ride a horse and teach him how to you know ranch hand and stuff and uh you know i think obviously there's there's a very visual metaphor for benedict's character seeing himself in this young man of course uh, you know, yes this young educated man who was also sort of seduced into this world of, of being a ranch hand by his mentor who had passed away and presumably lover uh maybe not i don't know the movie's never explicit with that i, I uh, think it is <laughs> i mean it's, it's as explicit as the well, the well, clearly uh benedict cumberbatch has love for this man he you know he yeah. he had a sexual attraction to him he had 
Uh, I would I would dare say there was a full on sexual relationship with this. I I wasn't going to go into this because I feel like this is stuff that that is. I mean, if there is spoilers in this movie, this might be one. Sure. Um, I I just I think that is, you know, very interesting um, aspect of their relationship. He you know, he obviously sees himself in this young man. Right. And, 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 And I think there's multiple ways that you can read what he's doing. Yeah, uh, with Cody Smith McBee, um, you know that the movie is kind of on a simmer, and that we're heading towards some sort of climax. Yeah, and it's probably not going to be good. Whatever happens, that's just sort of the vibe we're we're getting from mm. from the tone of the film. We're always kind of questioning whether or not is he is he truly reaching out to Cody Smith McBee? Has he really changed his mind on him, or is this like a long con? Yeah, where is this, this some is, you new know manipulation? Right? Um, is he going to dump pig's blood all over him at the prom? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I, I think all of these things are, are what makes this movie really fascinating. Like, just the character dynamics were really interesting, and that's what this drives the entire narrative is the character dynamics. Yeah, um, and I, and I, I, yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, I, I was kind of surprised by it. I didn't really know much about it going in. I know Jane Campion is vaguely. I've seen the piano, whatever, but. I was, again, like I said, I was remi- reminded of films like like Days of Heaven, like uh, Meek's Cutoff, which uh, isn't as old that came out in like, 2012 or something like that. But it's also sort of a a brooding character study in the West, uh, maybe even a little of uh, There Will Be Blood, but without the histrionics. Um, yeah, but but even yeah, I, I, I can see that a lot um, sort of I, in I mean, that one of the sub genre. Of of Western, the, the like the character study that takes place in the West. Sure, yeah, that movie's a little bit more operatic, um, but uh, but yeah, I, I I like this one. I like this movie a lot, actually, and it, it's kind of grown on me. Now, I think we both sort of had a feeling or something about the ending, and to me, I I'm not in love with it. Um, yeah, I and I know that you know it's book. There was probably lots of uh, pros that justify what we see at the end. Um, I think it kind of uh, makes some of the subtler moves of the film less so and kind of kind of makes it more of a genre piece than it needed to be. Um, yeah, I it also kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere a little bit. Um, it doesn't. I mean, they, they definitely they build to it a little. They allude to the final act. Um, but and like I said, just from the tone of the movie, you know, it's leading to something. Yeah. But um, I I kind of just wish that they had left the ending to a little bit more interpretation, maybe obscured it a little, even if they. They didn't um, change the ending fully, but maybe just spell it out a little bit less because so much of the movie is doing such a good job at not spelling it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe that's what kind of rubbed me a, a little wrong as well, because at the it, the ending just becomes a lot more obvious it, mm-hmm. and not obvious like because I did not see it coming, um, uh, but obvious in like the oh, it feels like all of a sudden the movie's holding our hands yeah and, or and like walking us through these events and i'm like yeah i i got it like 
you, you know, I, I agree with you. Um, I don't think it ruins the movie, but I, no. I do agree that it is. It, it just feels a little off from everything else that we saw. Yeah, it seems like the easier answer. Yeah. And, yeah. and a little bit more of kind of a, you know, movie payoff that I didn't need, actually. I actually think, you know, even if this movie had ended with no big climax, even if it just had ended with the kid going back to school and everyone's fine, um, mm-hmm. seemingly, um, I still would have been happy with it. But the way it ended, I don't know. Um, uh, mileage may vary from viewer to viewer on on that. But again, it was based on a book, whatever. There was probably, like I said, it's probably written beautifully. However, um, I just wish they'd obscured it or made it less obvious. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and also, you know, this, again, you know, this movie isn't going to be for everybody. This is, you know, this... this No, that's the case regardless. Yeah, this is more... And actually, if anything, that's more my problem with the ending. It's like the ending's for everybody. The the rest of the movie sort of is doing its own thing in a more interesting way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, So, you know, when I was first watching this movie, I was a little disappointed that it wasn't a little bit more of a genre picture. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's a little slower. It's a little, you know, but I also think that even though this movie's slow, as far as advancing story, there's so much interesting like character dynamic and so much going on in any individual scene that I never felt like the movie was slow. If that makes sense. Yeah. Neither did I. I always, I, I think it's paced deliberately but well yeah Yeah. um it's not a fast film i would not call it that it It doesn't zip by but i think that it's i think it's involving and i'm i was there from scene to scene and and every scene has intention and i think purpose yeah there's no i never felt like oh this could be cut out or anything like that yeah uh Um, yeah so what do you give the power of the dog I'm giving an A minus. I think it's actually it's up there with some of the best movies I've seen this year. I, I and I I say that pretty confidently. Yeah, uh, I agree. A minus. I I think we're pretty much on the same page with this one. Yeah, it's really good. If you like these actors, if you don't mind a, a slow building character piece, that is what this is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You'll you'll enjoy the movie if you are not looking for a revenge story. Shoot 'em up. Which I I was kind of and but I came around you know even but that's the thing I think that speaks to how good the movie is is mm-hmm. once I came around to oh this isn't that type of movie right I still really liked it I, I, you know I I had to not stew on it but I had to let it sit with me for a little mm-hmm. bit but uh but yeah I I still I think I really you know it won me over yeah just. By being a good movie. Yeah. It's nice to have those every once in a while. Um, a while. Beautifully shot and delicately directed. Yeah. Which which for Netflix is saying a lot. Yeah. You know, this feels more like a pickup to me than a Netflix original. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like this was probably a movie that was made and sold to Netflix later. Yeah. Um, yeah, that this, makes sense. Um, but rather yeah, it than just, Netflix it feels... ponying up the money. It feels a lot more uh, intentional than the typical Netflix fare. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, let's move on to something completely different. Go ahead and describe the streaming homework, um, Mazes and Monsters from 1982. Okay. Um, and you said this was a TV movie, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, okay. So you can, you can also tell by the fact that it's um, it's shot in a square frame. You can tell by a lot of things. Um, <laughs> uh, so there's these three friends at school. Um, uh, JJ, who was supposed to be 16, apparently. I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, we're already there. My first sentence and I'm going <laughs> crazy with this movie. Uh, so we've got these three friends in college. Uh, JJ is this young prodigy child, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Daniel, who's too handsome to find love. And uh, <laughs> and Kate Finch, who is girl. Uh, girl in friend group. Right. Uh, and they need a fourth player for their campaign of mazes and monsters and then tom hanks who plays robbie wheeling uh comes to school uh he has to go he had to transfer to a new school because in the past uh, he has had problems with mazes and monsters uh he's gotten a little bit obsessive and his grades suffered um so he's at a new school um you know new social surroundings so that hopefully he can focus on his grades. Uh, he finds this group and they eventually talk him into uh, getting back into the game, you know, on a very casual basis mm-hmm. as they're playing, uh, you know, more and more eventually uh, JJ's character dies off in the game. And again, He's apparently 16, so he feels like a bit of a social outcast even within his social group and decides that he wants to try and make a more immersive version of Mazes and Monsters. So he finds an old abandoned cave uh, (laughs) where where he uh, sets it up with props and fake skeletons and uh, uh, and creates a maze and, and they all dress up in costumes and, and try to make the experience as, as, you know, they LARP, essentially. They try to make the experience as real as possible. Yeah. So this triggers something in Tom Hanks's brain and uh, it, it blurs the lines between fantasy and reality with him you know, believing he is in this, this fictional world of mazes and monsters. Uh, right. Believing that he's his, his spiritual ma- mage character. Yes. Yeah. He's playing a, uh, I believe it would be a cleric, but he, he's yeah. A holy man. And so he goes on this, this quest that leads him away from school. And then, you know, his friends have to, to find him before he gets into some, some real trouble. Right. Using clues from a map that he left behind. Yeah. 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 A homemade uh, made the monsters map. Yeah. So this, uh, this was a TV movie from the eighties, again, also based on a book. And this was kind of at the beginning of the dungeons and dragons, moral panic. Yeah. Uh, that we saw, uh, well, 
I didn't see. I wasn't super alive yet, but the, you know, throughout the eighties, you know, kind of in tandem with the satanic panic, there was this idea older people just didn't really understand kids going into their basements, pretending they're other people and having these days long campaigns. So they assumed that, um, you know, that it was like putting them in some sort of um, occult trance and, and, and getting into real trouble when in fact, it's just a bunch of nerds um, playing pretend. And there was, you know, a little bit of this stuff in the media, there was, you know, different, uh, you know, uh, news segments and stuff about kids who played D and D who would have committed suicide or whatever, or you had seen there, there was the, the chick tracks, you know, the, by the Christian, um, evangelical chick tracks that, that, um, who would put out, you know, various little like, uh, comic books that you would stuff in pews, uh, that would tell parents, uh, what the, uh, pop culture moral outrage of the week was. Um, they did a whole Which, one. I mean, you know, this maybe it's not directed so much at like D and D and stuff, but this has exist. This type of uh, moral panic has existed throughout our lifetime. You know, when yeah. Harry Potter got popular, sure, yeah, uh, there was a you know group of uh, conservative moms saying that it was you know a gateway to Satanism because they're witches and they practice right. witchcraft. There was. There was moral outrage against fucking Pokemon, like, right. like and Magic yes. the Gathering and and video games. It's funny because we asked a uh, friend of the show, uh, Patrick, on his podcast, Consume Us. They just did an episode all about this exact topic of you know moral panics and of throughout uh, the decades and how they you know come and go. Um, yeah. So it, I mean, we have definitely experienced similar things within our lifetime even if it was not directed at you know D specifically but i mean right what's interesting about this movie though is that even though that's the assignment like that is like definitely why this movie got made is because they wanted to do sort of like a like a after school special of why you you know should watch your kids if they're playing D. Mm. like that's the assignment but i feel like everybody involved the writers, the director, the actors, they, nobody wants to make that movie because it is, it, it does so much to avoid the actual subject matter. I don't know, man. Like I, the inciting incident doesn't even happen until about 30 minutes into the movie. It, um, it could it, be way more, uh, it could be way more outrageous and paranoid and, uh, you know, uh, really push the fear mongering way more than it chooses to do. I, it I has mean, this yes. like this really not... sleepy um, theme song that plays throughout the oh background. That's like, you know, one part Karen Carpenter, like three parts. Cheer up, Charlie. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, yes, it's it's not reefer madness, but no. It... And that's what I was kind of hoping it would be. Yeah, I was hoping it'd it, been fun. Right. It's actually pretty boring. This movie sucks. This movie <laughs> sucks balls. It is a slog. Uh, there's a couple fun moments with Tom Hanks. Yeah. By virtue of being a young Tom Hanks. He even even now he's just so charismatic. Yeah. Uh, you know that he's and he gets to have all the fun. Um, but this movie sucks, man. It is boring. It's ugly. It's not shot well. It feels like a 
it feels like a pilot for an after school special TV show. Like, yeah, it it's just not good. Like uh, all of the dialogue is so heavy handed. Uh, yeah, there were yeah. something. I mean, I didn't hate all of it. Um, I actually uh, Chris uh, make peace who plays JJ. I kind of enjoy him. He's the only one of these four who's like believably a nerd. That's true. And he's like always wearing like weird, weird hat. That's his thing. That's his in place of having a character. He wears a weird hat every scene and he has a bird that talks. Um, Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I enjoyed his character. There's a little bit of fun to be had in this movie. Right. I mean, if you're watching the movie, Ironically, there's, I think, a decent amount of fun to have it. Uh, it's just not the type of thing you would really want to watch by yourself. You want that. You want friends to be there to make fun of it with, Yeah, um, which, which I did, I did not have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was kind of just taking like mental notes of like, oh, this would be humorous in a type of setting. You know what? Um, though? Even as far as movies like that, this yeah. is still pretty boring. Like, no, but- I mean, it's like any of these kind of things, whether it be exploitation movies or whether it be like TV movies from a certain time period or school specials, things like that, um, where it's just super padded out. You know, they don't have that much to say, really. Yeah. So there's about every like five to 10 minutes is fluff, could totally come out of the movie, is not pushing story. No moment, no narrative momentum at all. Um, and that's what I was surprised by. It's like, if you're going to make this movie, if you're going to like, if you're going to make like the, the uh, why D&D is dangerous movie, like go nuts with it. Like I yeah, was hoping. Go, get them possessed, have them doing ritualistic sacrifices. Let them be, you know, joining a cult. Yeah. Like. Right. Let the let the or, dice be some weird coded message to Satan. Like, yeah, I thought that, that even once that once that they uh, came up with the idea of like the caverns, that that would be like pretty much where we would stay for the rest of the movie. And it would just kind of be an extended. No, they couldn't uh, afford that. No. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like the movie sort of avoids being what the movie is. Um, also, it, narratively, you, there's some weird stuff because I feel like. I feel like JJ is like written as like an antagonist and the first half of the film, like he's all mad because he wants Uh to get with the girl and he like creates this whole scenario basically to get the girl away from Tom Hanks's character. Yeah. And then he like, he's like talking casually in his room about all the different ways he might commit suicide. Uh-huh. And then he decided to come up with this cavern game. So the movie's written like he's an antagonist and that it's going to come to heads between him and Tom Hanks. But then that well, isn't also, what happens at all. And it's like the movie just sort of changes its mind halfway through of like what these characters are, what they're doing. I mean, if you want to talk about changing its mind halfway through, uh, Tom Hanks joins this maze as a monsters group because he's attracted to uh, the girl Cruson's character. Yeah, they start dating. They have, you know, the most chemistry of anyone in this movie. Sure. Uh, And then he, you know, gets this psychic message because he's possessed by mazes and monsters that he has to break up with her and be celibate. That was funny, which that was funny. But you'd also (laughs) think that the moral outrage group would be happy about that. Right. right? That's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like this movie isn't totally tapped into that world. Because I, I agree like this, with you. If it was the guy, if it was Jack Chick who directed this, 
it would be batshit and it would be hilarious. But because it was like Holly, like liberal Hollywood that made this movie, they don't really even understand what the moral panic is. They just feel like they have to make this movie because it's in the news. Yeah, it's a little too earnest for it. Like they're good. like, it's not real. There's no like coded Satanism versus Christianity ness. Like all of that's kind of like glazed over. Yeah, absolutely. Like you only really get the moral panic from like the cop character, right? Who is some people might recognize as the mayor from Jaws. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but um, anyway, I mean, uh, an actual good actor that's in this film, uh, and hey, Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks is great. I mean, Tom Hanks has since become a very good actor. He is not the best here. Um, his fake yeah, but crying, even, even here, you can. <laughs> I mean it's the benefit of hindsight, but even here you can be like, yeah, he's, he stands out from he these is, other kids. He has natural charisma. Yes. He has a kind of the, it's the raw thing that he was able to sort of uh, build into. upon. Yeah. Um, I think this is even like pre bosom buddies, uh, RIP oh. Peter Scolari, but, um, sure, yeah. but yeah, I think, or right around there. Uh, but yeah, I think like there's a raw talent. He's, you know, he commands the scene he's in because he's he's just very magnanimous and, yes, and that's, warm. That's what I mean. Um, uh, but but like whenever he has to do any emotional heavy lifting, he completely fails. Oh, yeah. Those those are some pretty hilarious scenes. <laughs> when he's in the phone booth was pretty funny. Yeah. I don't know where I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but that's what I mean. Like, so the whole movie is set. Up for this romance between these two characters yeah and then he you know kind of loses his mind and then she just like gets over him and starts dating the other guy yeah and it's like okay what what so there's just no narrative thread we want to hang on to there right yeah the move the movie sort of can't decide who the main character is, like what the actual, um, you know, arc of the film is. Um, We've taught, I just us talking about this movie is putting more energy into this movie than it deserves. This movie's a dog turd. It's like, (laughs) there's nothing really worth watching about it. It's not, it's not fun enough to be bad. It's not bad enough to be interesting. It's not, I don't know. It's just kind of a boring. I think it's a history interesting historical widget in that you know it's at the beginning of the whole like D moral panic thing that's kind of interesting to see in a really early tom hanks performance is kind of interesting to see just sort of like what tv movies look like at this time like this is still like before the 80s really got cooking um yeah so it doesn't really have like the style or like the, the mtv pop quality of like 80s films yet it still feels very much more like a late 70s piece the whole thing thing, just feels kind of like lame yeah it's just like what are are we doing here (laughs) um Uh, my favorite thing about this movie is if you look at like any of the posters or promotional material that's come out since yeah uh, it has like tom hanks's giant face on like a poster right yeah i mean it's what they have to sell it with yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I can see there might be a cult audience for this or like, like I said, if you if you and a bunch of friends are, you know, sharing beers or whatever, and it's playing on the background, you're only half paying attention, kind of just laughing at it. I could think of worse, um, especially if you're yeah, into d and and you're a big nerd. Too. I, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's not like 
like the usual MS3TK type material. Although I'm, there probably is a riff tracks of this or something, and it's okay. probably pretty good. Yeah, that that would actually be pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, I've seen. I mean, I mean, I've seen worse just from the movies that they riffed on. Uh, this is that's almost the problem with the movie is it's like trying a little too hard to be a real movie when yeah. it should have just been Reaper Madness with D&D. But it's uh, it is a it is a thing. It is a thing. It exists. And also, <laughs> uh, I believe Mazes and Monsters Rift Tracks does exist. Yeah, I bet that's funny. I bet it's yeah. good. Probably the way to watch this. Probably if you're going to watch it, that is probably the way to go, I would imagine. But yes, um, I originally kind of became aware of this uh, from a, uh, a record collector YouTuber that I watch uh, named Ground Zero Salem. He you know, shows a lot of like punk and metal stuff out of his collection, but he uses that clip where uh, Tom Hanks is like uh, freaking out about the dragon thing in the cave before he mm-hmm. stabs it. Mm-hmm. And that's his intro to his, to all of his videos. So it's like, I had to look up what Tom Hanks could have been in that, 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 that was. And that's how I became aware of this movie, um, which uh, kind of misled me. Cause I was expecting like it to be a little bit more of like, uh, you know, a stonery, heshery kind of movie. And it's not. Yeah. <laughs> what do we have for the next streaming homework? Uh, uh, your assignment. Uh, I am assigning us to watch uh, Jack Reacher starring Tom Cruise. I believe it was like 2012 or something. Yeah, not too very long ago. I definitely remember it coming out. Uh, Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise. Um, Tom Cruise was in like a bunch of movies at this time, including Mission Impossible films and other things. Mm -hmm. This was like his little like third or fourth comeback. Uh, (laughs) When he, yeah, when it was like this and Edge of Tomorrow and Oblivion and yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is around the same time as all those. Um, yeah. Uh, directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Yeah. Uh, it is currently streaming on a bunch of things. It's very available. I think it's on Hulu, Paramount Plus. Um, I believe it's on Prime. Yeah. So yeah. This one's pretty, um, pretty easy to watch. So we're going to catch up with that. And if anybody has anything to say about any of the reviews or segments we did on this episode or previous, you can reach us at our email, uh, mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media, whether it be Twitter, or Instagram, at mcguffinpod. Um, we are also still on Facebook, facebook.com slash mcguffinpod, where we post the episodes. Um, and if you want to read the other reviews and articles by the rest of the MacGuffin staff, uh, those of who are don't do this podcast, but often review a lot of the same movies um, that we talk about, you can do so by going to their website, mcguff.in and finding the review archives. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a one-sentence review on whichever is your favorite podcatcher, uh, um, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Player.fm, Stitcher, whatever. And uh, you can read my movie reviews that I write for the Idaho State Journal by going to Google and typing in Idaho State Journal movie reviews. That'll take you to the review archives. Probably the easiest way to find that. Uh, you can follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram by looking up VC Cassidy, V is in Victor, C. 
Cassidy at uh, yeah, uh, Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Go and see uh, the pictures of my Nightcrawler cosplay. That's what happens when you play Mazes and Monsters. Um, <laughs> you, you turn into a blue devil. Uh, you can also follow my Instagram, uh, my art account at Sticky Note Aesthetic, which I'll update someday. Okay. Uh, and that is the end of the episode. Mazes and Monsters is a far out game. Swords, poison, spells, battles, maiming, killing. Mike.